Hello and welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. And today we are, do- are joined by David Mendoza talking about transitioning successfully and how to do it in your life and career. David immigrated to Canada from Colombia in 2006. He's an educator, career coach, and entrepreneur with over 10 years of experience working in the post-secondary education system in Ontario, supporting international students in all areas of career growth and personal development. His background is in business, marketing, and community services, and is passionate about impactful educational approaches and experiential learning. He's the director of Orbit 5, a learning initiative that prepares international students to transition smoothly into life in Canada, as well as a professor at George Brown College, where he teaches career preparation-related courses. Through his work, he aims to empower students to explore career paths that lead to happiness and well-being, so they feel challenged and motivated to make great contributions to this thriving society. He joins us from Toronto. David, welcome to the Career Builders Podcast. Thank you very much, uh, Mike and Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here with you folks uh, this afternoon. Yeah. Excited to have you. So excited to have you. Can you you tell our dear listener a little bit more about your story? It's pretty interesting. What else should they know? Yeah, as you mentioned before, I I came to Canada uh, from Colombia, where I was born and raised. Uh, I came here in 2006, so it's been 14 years uh, since I moved to Toronto. And when I came to the city, it was like love at first sight with it. I needed a massive change in my life uh, prior to arrival. So you know, you know, like when you when you just like know when you arrive somewhere and you know that you have found your place in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I experienced when I arrived in Toronto day one. And it's been uh, an ever growing love ever since. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm an educator. And the reason why I love working in education is because I experienced negatively education growing up uh, during high school, uh, university, uh, yeah, so when I randomly found myself within the world of education, I wanted to provide my students a very different experience. Mm-hmm. So I strive to provide them with a memorable life and educational experience that have a positive impact. Uh, I, want, I, I like to have fun uh, at the things I do, and I like my students to have fun uh, when they work with me. Um, so yeah, so, so I'm an educator passionate about uh, working with the international student population because I was an inter- international student myself years ago. I had a chance to go to England uh, while I was completing my degree in business in Colombia and it was a life-changing experience. Um, so that's why I'm so passionate about working with international students so that they experience something similar because sometimes I see that they do not make the most of their time here and the investments that they make mm-hmm. because they tend to play too safe and just hang out with uh, other students who speak their same language and take their same program uh, and they are not getting the opportunities or, or meeting the goal or achieving the goals that they had set for themselves. So that's why I like to challenge them through the work that we do. I've also had the chance to work in the travel industry. So before COVID, I was freelance, freelancing for a travel for an educational travel company where I used to uh, develop business and lead culinary tours around the world. And that's something that I enjoy pretty much and that I miss dearly hmm. uh, because I love traveling. I love diversity. I love cultures. I love languages. So uh, being exposed to other cultures and flavors and all these things was also life changing. And, and through those experiences, I had a chance also to empower the students that I were traveling with me so that they could uh, equip themselves to become more marketable in their careers in the world of hospitality and beyond. And on top of that, um, I'm, yeah, as you mentioned, I am a professor at George Brown College where I teach currently a class called Career and Life Transitions. Which is, yeah, like a perfect segue into our discussion today. And just as a quick side note, I can totally resonate with you in terms of that feeling of arriving in a place and being like, oh, this is totally for me. (laughs) Very coincidentally, it was also in 2006 when I arrived in Montreal, Mm -hmm. uh, in that case, as an undergraduate student. It's where I've stayed ever since. It's where I've really built my life. Mm -hmm. And so I, that, that part of your story touches me. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, cool. Absolutely. 
So you focus on helping international students and newcomers experience a smooth transition into life in Canada through your work at Orbit 5, but you also experienced that yourself. What are some of the major challenges that individuals face when they're first coming to Canada? Uh, I think there are uh, three main challenges uh, that international students and newcomers face when they come to this country. First uh, is the lack of confidence. And I see that a lot in the, in the, in the group work, usually, that I do with them when I, when I ask them to uh, share a thought or an idea or present something in front, of the, in front of the others. Usually, the first words that come out of their mouth are, sorry, my English is not good, or excuse me for my English, or something. So I, that's something I like to challenge a lot because why are you putting that message in your brain and what are what are you giving that message as the first thing that other people need to hear mm. about you right mm. so i think it changes the entire dynamics and and i say this because when you are in south america for example you will never and say there's a canadian a german an australian a british person learning spanish they will never apologize for their spanish they will never do it so it's something that is more cultural now, people in South America tend to use and odd people in from other cultures as well. So I tell them you need to change that, that message that you're sending to yourself. Your English is improving. Send that message mm. instead. Your English is improving. Today is better than it was yesterday. And tomorrow is going to be better than it is today. If you send that message, the, 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 just like the, yeah, the, the process is going to be different. And, 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 and you just don't have to, to apologize for, for that, right? So that's one thing, confidence. Another thing with, regarding confidence is that when someone comes here, especially newcomers, because newcomers, students come and they know that they have to go to school first and then they have to get the work permit. So they have a bit more time to maybe to start working. But the newcomer, when they come, they need to start finding a job pretty much right away. And when they, depending on the strategy that they use, if they rely only on online applications, well, we all know that that's not the most effective way to find employment. Mm -hmm. So they go through the honeymoon, the honeymoon stage, uh, the first few days in a country where everything is beautiful and the transportation system is great and people mm -hmm. are more civic and et cetera. So they love that, but then they face the job search process and in a few weeks, they start realizing that they're not getting any calls for interviews. So they start doubting themselves. They start doubting their, their education experience, even if, if they went through managerial roles in their home countries, et cetera, they're still having those doubts and their confidence drop. So that's one of the big challenges that they, they face. Another challenge, big challenge that they face is the lack of connections, for sure. Because you can come with a wealth of education and experience, but if you don't have a network, it's very difficult to thrive in a new society and most specifically it's very hard to land meaningful career opportunities so that's another thing the lack of connections the lack of a network and the other thing that i would say is uh the biases that they bring with them because we all have biases especially we now with the current situation that we are experiencing uh, during the past few weeks, we know that we definitely all have our biases and we have grew up with, with, uh, with prejudice, right? Uh, so that's another challenge that they face and they have to do a lot of work to challenge that prejudice and be more open-minded to, to face a different reality um, so that they can first grow and have a smoother integration into society and just like make a, a better environment for themselves and the people around them. Makes total sense. Yeah, there's uh, for sure the messages we tell ourselves, right? They're the most impactful messages that we can hear. Kind of on a similar level there in terms of mindset, what do you feel is required for an individual to make a successful transition? Kind of just building on a little bit of what you've just said. Yeah, so uh, in order for, for, for folks to make uh, a successful and smooth transition into the new home country, I think it's, it's paramount. It's mandatory that they are aware of those biases and the prejudices that they have grown up with and leave that behind. So mm -hmm. that's a massive thing. So have an open mind uh, and learn, be willing to unlearn is not only the things that you, need, that you, that you have to learn about you know, the society, the dynamics, et cetera, but also things that you need to unlearn, right? If you have 
uh, grown up with, uh, for example, in my case, Colombia, right? Uh, when, when people think about Colombia, th people think about the bad propaganda that we, that we had mm -hmm. to go through for 25 years or more, yeah? So then people need to unlearn that in order to have a good experience when they go to the country, right? And they will realize that the bad propaganda actually didn't make any, didn't do any justice to how wonderful the country is, the geography, the people, the experience, yeah? Same thing when they come here. They, there are things that they need to unlearn in, in order to have this smooth transition. So challenging those biases, it's paramount. Be, be, have an open mind to uh, be willing to interact and build relationships with folks who look very different from them uh, and be humble enough to learn from their journeys, from their stories and mm. their life and, you know, and, and, and create win-win situations when they, those other people can learn from them as well. So um, I think, you know, because a transition, it doesn't matter the type of transition, it always involves massive changes people need to be aware that they will have to go through changes, uh, but with an open mind so that things are, you know, are easier uh, for them to integrate into their new society. It's interesting. Um, some folks who are in a transition, right? Whether it's to a new place, could be a new kind of a job, new industry, are doing it sort of by what they might say choice while others might say that they, you know, they had no choice. They mm -hmm. were pushed into this somehow. Mm -hmm. And in your experience, does sort of the, the starting point of a transition where a person is coming from, does that um, impact how effective people are at adapting to new environments? Um, I think that that's a great question. And I think that definitely it does have a massive impact because it's different. If you are experiencing a transition into life in a new country, when you were forced to flee your country of origin mm -hmm. to save mm -hmm. your life, you know, so from, from, for example, from a refugee standpoint, it is very different to experience that transition than someone who is an international student who is, you know, coming to this country by choice to upgrade their skills, to experience personal growth, etc. So it's, it's different. It's a different transition. But if, regardless of the situation, if there are support systems in place that the person can access to and can, you know, you know, and, and use for for uh, for the betterment of, of themselves in that situation, the transition still can be very successful. So, mm -hmm. for example, like a few years ago, I had a chance to work. In an, with an initiative uh, that supported uh, two cohorts of refugees from different parts of the world mm. with very traumatic uh, life experiences of torture and political oppression, and really, really, really uh, tough life situations. Um, but they were part of this program that allowed, that helped them do that transition or experience that transition through going into post-secondary, yeah? So that they could upgrade themselves and like, you know, bring the best elements from their experience and their, and their upbringing into, into their, their life in Canada through the world of post-secondary. Mm. And the stories that, that we heard uh, were uh, traumatic, really traumatic, because imagine someone whose family members were killed in front of their eyes and they're here just because she or he had to save their lives, right? So it's, it's very different, but with with the right support and counseling and therapy and, and different elements that can be put into place that we luckily in Canada can offer mm -hmm. as opposed to other countries, mm -hmm. uh, the person uh, can still experience uh, uh, maybe not all cases, small transition because in some cases it's going to take longer mm -hmm. for adaptation and just to, to try to cope with that trauma, but still the person can transition into their life. It's pretty incredible the range of starting points that people can come from. And while we're normally talking a little bit more around um, just like a professional transition, what could like a promotion or a leap to a new industry mm -hmm. be like? And the fears that are kind of associated with that, I can, my intuitive feeling is that those fears compared to the folks who are coming from 
what you yeah. just talked about, like a kind of refugee type situation. It, it must be incredibly hard. Yeah. And you know what? Like I remember from that, from the first cohort uh, that we work with, I remember the, the on closing day that we had like a celebration because we had uh, completed the program with all of them, et cetera. And, and you know, the bonds that they created were very strong. Yeah. Mm. Because they, because they don't feel judged or, or anything because they know that the other people sitting in the room are, have experienced something similar. So everyone is in the same page. Right. And one of them said that when they came to Canada, they wanted to die. They, they just wanted to die. They, they, they had to be, flee their country because they, you know, to stay alive. Mm-hmm. But they came here because, but they wanted to die. And they said through this experience of being in this program with these people, with the mentorship, with all this, the, the support that I got, now I, for the first time in years, I see hope. Yeah. Wow. So it's not, so it's not going to be easy for that person. Never, it will never be easy for that person because they will have those tra- traumatic images in their head, in the back of their head and, you know, whatever, and, and all the things that, that, that entails. But she said, you know, she said that for the first time in my life, I see hope. And that was, that was a beautiful moment for, for, for everyone. Right. So I think with the, with the right support, still people can, thrive uh within this canadian society regardless of of the case i also have a personal experience my grandparents actually um came from slovenia which Mm -hmm. at the time was a communist yugoslavia and came with a backpack on their back and um really made a life for themselves but i know that talking to my grandfather to this day he still can relive those terrible moments that he experienced yeah. and was still able to come through that and be successful. And he loves Canada for the way that it has helped it to shape who he is now. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's the beauty, the, the beauty, uh, the beautiful thing about, about Canada that it's, um, you know, that it, it has opened its doors for, for, for people who, who need, who need a, a chance for survival. Where else are they going to go? Right. Still, I'm not saying that Canada's perfect place. There's no. still like a lot of racism mm-hmm. and discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. But absolutely compared compared to other places, uh, you know, like uh, there are better chances for for people to to survive and, and and build a dignified life, if you will. Yeah, and it's also a lot on the people. Like, there's the people who make those transitions are brave and strong, and there's mm-hmm. so many qualities within them that help them to be successful. Correct. So. Thinking about that, what activities or traits do you feel have helped people to be successful when making the transition? Uh, again, like uh, having an open mind, it's, it's paramount, like, like, uh, like we were discussing before. Also, I think, uh, you know, like in, in, in many cultures, and, and again, talking from, uh, from, from a Latin American standpoint, nobody does volunteer work there. And I think doing volunteer work here could be a great opportunity for that, for people to transition and understanding the dynamics of the workplace and the dynamics of the society as well. Mm. Even if, and there are cases of there are cases of, of of folks who have moved to this country and they have managed to to land managerial roles within the first month or the first two months upon arrival. Still, I think those folks should do volunteer work or for or to or do some entry level. Uh, were to some extent, again, to, to challenge those, to challenge the biases that they have, right? To put themselves in the shoes of, of other people and understand better, uh, you know, what it is to have the other challenges, other struggles, etc. So volunteer could be a great, a great thing to do. Uh, if the person uh, puts in the work to research their industry of interest, uh, potential places where they would like to work at and connect with people prior to arrival, right? So that they have maybe uh, lined up a couple informational interviews. I mm-hmm. think uh, that's a great way also to smooth up the transition because they will have already started building a network from their home, right? And have a better idea of the ins and outs of the industry, uh, of, the, of the industries. And nowadays it's, it's easier to connect virtually with pretty much everyone, right? So it's easier than, for example, when I came here in 20, in, 20, in 2006, I think LinkedIn maybe was like maybe a year old or something. Mm. So <laughs> nobody knew it, nobody knew about it, nobody used it. Uh, 
we didn't have other other uh, networking platforms like Ten Thousand Coffee. Well, all these all these things that we that now we have access to, and there are unlimited amounts of technology and information that are accessible to most people who, who are here. So that uh, networking and researching prior to arrival, um, you know, getting involved, for example, for in, for in, in the case of in, international students, on top of that, getting involved at school. People need to play with what they have, right? So getting involved at school, like uh, building a relationship with the program coordinators, with their faculty, with the staff at the college or university, just taking that step to introduce themselves and ask, how can your services help me optimize my learning experience? You have to, I think like, I tell the, I, I, when I talk to international students, I tell them, look, you are paying a ton of money to be educated and, uh, and to upgrade your skills. And although the idea of education is beautiful and like utopic, these are corporations at the end of the day and they mm -hmm. are looking for money from students, right? So I tell students like, see yourself as the customer. And what we do have in Canada is outstanding customer service. <laughs> so you can demand customer. So ask people around, how can they help you? Because we, as educators and folks who work at staff at the, at the institutions, our only job is to help the students succeed. Yeah? yeah. But it, it has to come from this, it's up to the student to make those, uh, those first interactions. Uh, Canada, Canada is a welcoming nation, but Canada is not a hand-holding society. And that's something mm -hmm. that I've seen in, in 14 years. It's not a hand-holding society. Yeah? If you go to a classroom in Toronto, for example, I used to teach, teach a class at a chef school a few years ago. And it, it was a lot of international students and Canadian students in the same classroom. Uh, but it's clusters, Canadians with the Canadians, Indians with Indians, Colombian with Colombian, Brazilians with Brazilian, Vietnamese with Vietnamese. There's not a lot of interaction. And it's not that the Canadian student is that they don't, they don't want to interact with the others, but it's just easier for them just to sit down with the Canadian students. It's just easier. But at the same time, it's easier for the Indian student to sit down with the Indian students because it's the same culture, it's the same conversations, it's the same jokes, it's the same things that they have talked about all their lives, right? So it's up to the international student to try to make that first, uh, take that first step and intro introduction and see what are the commonalities between the two cultures, what kind of things they can talk about. Imagine from, from a culinary perspective, for example, it's so easy. Even you can be the shy, the most, the, 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 the most shy or the shyest person in the room, right? But you are sitting down with with thirty other people who are into food as well, so that could be an icebreaker when you talk to a Canadian student. Talk about food, like, hey, I come from Vietnam. Imagine rich uh, gastronomical culture, right? And you ask the Canadian student, okay, tell me about the food here. What should I try? <laughs> uh, have you tried Vietnamese food? What Vietnamese restaurants can we go to? And I would like to introduce you to four to uh, to you know like. Uh, other other sorts of uh, cuisine, so it's it's up to them to try to challenge themselves to step out of the comfort zone. And I'm, I know that this is a term that has become cliche over the years, but it's true. You need to take a step out of your comfort if you want to make the most of your experience in the new country that is hosting you and the country where you spend thousands of dollars to upgrade yourself and become a better version of yourself. I love that advice too. I actually was, I had a friend who was an international student and she had invited me to the international student parties when I was in mm -hmm. university. They were the best parties. Mm -hmm. And For if sure. somebody hadn't invited me, <laughs> <laughs> if somebody hadn't invited me, I, I would have missed out on that whole experience. Yeah. But it, it must be really difficult being in that place to invite somebody to come and yeah. hang out. And you know what? And you know what? I, I think it's also it should be also something that maybe uh, educational institutions should uh, you know you know invest more maybe you know so like having during orientation maybe doing activities uh, that integrate more the local students with international students like yeah. maybe throwing par parties like that right again because that because they, they, the local students they need to challenge their biases as well. Absolutely. You know if they say oh there's a group of Colombian students like coming to a party what are the, th the first thing they're going to talk about? We all know that they're they're not going to think about this coffee. 
is going to think to be something else. So mm. let's challenge that, right? So yeah. So I, I think it's, it's a great, uh, it would be great a great opportunity to provide spaces where there will where you see more interaction between the local community and the foreign community and merge the entire thing, especially in a city like Toronto, which is so multicultural, which is beautiful and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for a student to experience because it's rare that they can be in another place in the world and experience the same diversity. Mm-hmm. It's so true. a microcosmos of the planet in one classroom, in one city, in one same space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's, it's a win-win situation for everyone. If you think about it, we are very fortunate to be uh, living in, in a city like Toronto, I think. Agreed. As I like think about kind of what you've said in terms of, how people go through transitions to new physical places, cities, take a Toronto, for example. I don't see why a lot of what you've said wouldn't apply to somebody who is making a big transition just within their career. Maybe they're a little bit older. Um, maybe they're, they're staying within their country, but like the idea of building connections before you go, mm-hmm. being open to reaching out and finding common ground to break ice with, yeah, like all of those things, getting a sense of like, what are the real norms of this new place that I'm going to in my career? I don't, I don't see how it wouldn't apply to someone who is in a slightly different uh, context, but is basically going through the same process. Absolutely. And then when, when we think about maybe a a more mature student population, they have their challenges too. They have different challenges because the 20 year old comes here and they have like they're, they're free spirits. Mm-hmm. But if it's like someone who is like, who, who comes as, in, as an international student with their family, with, yeah. with, with their spouse and children, they have other challenges and other priorities because they, they cannot like party every day. They have like, they have to look after their kids, right? So, and it's, and it's again like these biases and, and the ageism as well that they will have to face. Mm-hmm maybe right because because these are these are problems that we still see in in our society and in the workplace so how can they self-advocate how can they learn to self-advocate how can they help other people understand that they bring extra value uh because of the massive experience and because they thrived in contexts contexts that are volatile mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so why wouldn't thrive in a context that is more stable than the canadian one yeah, see. that's a great point. So, yeah. yeah. What do you think are some of the long-term benefits and outcomes of going through a, a major transition in the context of either a person's career or life? Uh, I think like massive growth yeah. on a personal level, on a professional level, on all fronts, massive growth. And again, because uh, we talk about this, like all transitions come with change, right and and when 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 change happens you need to to do something that is out of the ordinary in order to survive or in order or in order to thrive so massive growth for sure also like in, in the in the in the case of, of of the people moving to this country is uh, a long-term benefit is that they are developing the skill of adaptability right mm-hmm. which now we know after this with this COVID situation that adaptability is is going to be one of the most sought after skills that everyone will need to have yep. if they want to thrive in the new uh, in the new or in the future of work. The future of work we were talking about the future of work a year ago. Today, now we are experiencing the future of work mm-hmm. of work. Nobody was thinking about it and nobody thought it was going to be imposed but this COVID thing like, <laughs> is making us experience the future of work, of work sooner than we expected yeah and the international student and the newcomer they already have that skill ingrained in them because they have adapted to a new culture to working in a different language to studying in a new language to new social dynamics etc right so but maybe they are not aware of that so that's also like the, the work that I have to do with them when I when we mm-hmm. have these conversations because they they just we we just like go through life we just live yeah but we we don't stop to really understand who who is it that we are what is the value that we actually add to uh, to the people that we interact with or the place that we work at the projects that we get involved in yeah 
So, so that, for example, uh, I have I have a couple of friends who 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 moved to the United States within the past five years. Uh, one of them is like a like a couple, and they moved to to Miami. And he's from Colombia originally, and she's from Cuba. But they moved to Canada many years ago. So then they moved to the United States. And I have another friend whose girlfriend is uh, Canadian. He's Colombian. She's Canadian, and they moved to San Francisco, right? So when I was talking to them the other day, and for them it was a it was like a second immigration process mm. in their lives, right? A transition for sure. They had other challenges, but the good thing is that they already knew what it took to be able to go, you know, to go smoothly into your into a new society, mm-hmm. and that helped and that and that experience helped them a lot to adapt to their new reality. Yeah. So I think adaptability is one of the long-term uh, benefits as well. Uh, also, like, you, you know, like you develop uh, an appreciation for the world's diversity, especially when you come yeah. to a country like Canada, because it's so different. Like you, you go in the sub, you go in the subway and then you, you can hear like five different languages at the <laughs> same time. And sadly, in this time and day, people, some people hate that. Right. And we see that we see that that is happening like nowadays, like terribly. But for me, it's the most beautiful thing that you can you can jump in a train and you can hear you can see all colors. You can see different languages, hear different languages. So you appreciate diversity easier than if you are just like stuck in a bubble in the same place and you never experience anything else. Right. Uh, And I think also like with. uh, the long uh, benefits of, of a transition, sorry, the long-term term benefits of a transition like that is also that you develop a higher sense of empathy and compassion because you are put in a situation that shakes your reality and you really have to bring the best within to make sure that you overcome whatever obstacles life uh, is throwing at you for your new reality. I'd just like to highlight how great those pieces are for individuals to highlight in their own interviews Mm -hmm. because sometimes people might not even think about that but when you mentioned advocating for yourself earlier those qualities and those traits that you're bringing with you are so valuable to any company right now especially in the world that we're living in so i think that's really important exactly i think i think yeah and i think you just touched on a very important point because these are Again, it's like, I know that like, yeah, we talk about like, and we're using terms that that are highly utilized, like self-awareness, but it's true. But like, if you're not self-aware, then it's, it's going to be like very, very challenging to create great opportunities for yourself. So if you are aware of those things, you can have incredible stories to share with uh, an employer or with someone that you meet on for networking purposes that potentially can expedite your prospects mm-hmm. but you need to you need to know that you have that right mm-hmm. and and you have to avoid now that we're talking about cliches you need to avoid the cliches that nobody wants to hear anymore under that, that that don't add value that yeah i have i i, ha, I can work well under pressure and i have <laughs> great communication <laughs> skills right yeah but like what else you know tell me give me more substance so that that's why i love I, that's why i love the work that i do because with these conversations i have the chance to provide a different perspective and bring a different angle so people feel more confident that hey yeah I, I am this I, I can do this I just need to engage someone in this conversation so that they see the same thing and then together we can grow and, and, and they see that I can bring incredible uh, I'm sorry make incredible contributions to their their businesses or organizations or projects or whatever it is love that mm-hmm so you talk also about the importance of mental health as a priority. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Uh, mental health is something that is very dear to my heart. First, because it's something that I learned here in Canada. Uh, because in Colombia, well, you know, maybe some people have started to talk about it. But in the past, like when I was there, like I, I, like I never heard about it. And I myself now that I... I do self-reflection and and the reasons that like uh that that triggered my decision to to move to canada it was because i was not uh, 
you know, I was because I was experiencing mental health challenges in terms of uh, anxiety and maybe depression because of the situation, the personal situation that I was going through in my life. Yeah, that I felt it was going through a train and I needed that drastic change to, to save it, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know it was mental health. It's just like, oh, like you're sad. <laughs> you feel sad, right? Yeah. And maybe that's and maybe that's it. And maybe, maybe that's the, that's the perception that a lot of people uh, have. Like, oh, is, he's just sad. She's just sad. He's just like complaining. He's just like victimizing themselves, right? But here, uh, when I started working with students who actually face mental health uh, challenges and addiction challenges, and that I I had the chance to get heavily exposed to these realities and have more conversations about this. So now when I talk to international students and when, uh, with newcomers, this is a, a, a very important topic that we have to discuss because they come from cultures where mental health is a taboo. Like if, if it was in my culture, maybe, right now, yeah, because it's the Western world and we're talking more about this, but in other cultures, they're not talking about that whatsoever yet, yeah? Mm-hmm. And if your mental health is not your priority and if your mental health is not on point and if you don't understand that there's an imbalance but you just can't figure it out what it is mm-hmm. if you but you, you don't know it's your mind your mental stability it will be very very difficult for you to, to achieve any of the goals that you have set for yourself in your new home country yeah so that's why it's a, it's a very important conversation that we have with the students and with the newcomers uh for them to acknowledge if something is, if something feels off, first acknowledge that what is it, what's going on, what am I feeling, and then use the immediate resources that they have at hand. Again, when in 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 the students' case, uh, there's counselors, there's the counseling department, and amazing professionals that are willing to have conversations with them to help them figure out what is going on and help them navigate the situation so that their mental health is on point and so they keep their sanity as well. In the case of the newcomers, there's like a lot of, as well, organizations and institutions that provide these services as well. And sending a message that if you are experiencing something like that, it's not, it doesn't make you weak, right? It was just a taboo in your home country. It doesn't make you weak and no one is exempted from experiencing and mental health challenges at some point in their lives. Nobody's exempted. Mike, you're not exempted. Lisa, you're not accepting me. David, I'm not exempted either. And now with this COVID situation, I think that once we are out of it, there will be a larger number of people who have had experience or who will be experiencing mental health challenges for many reasons, for many, many reasons. Every person is a different universe, but for there's so many factors but more people will, and maybe, I'm not going to say that it's a, it's, it's a good thing that people will have mental health challenges, but maybe it's something that we needed to experience to be more empathetic towards yeah. the people who experience mental health challenges and so that we stop stigmatizing them, yeah. right? Because that's a problem. It's a stigma still, even in Canada, when Absolutely. we have all these institutions, and it's still a stigma, and people are scared, especially when they, when, when they go in a job search process, uh, because they know that if they talk about their mental health, they're going to be stigmatized and they're going to close a lot of doors. We're going to uh, be closing their faces. Yeah. So I think these are very important conversations that we need to have. And people uh, who always thought that, oh yeah, you just sad. You'll be fine. You just have to you know, stay positive. Right. Yeah. People will have to challenge that and understand that, Hey, no, there's actually, I don't know. Oh my God, like I'm experiencing something that I never experienced in my life or, or I'm seeing my spouse going through this dark mode and I don't know what to do or their kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it will, it will help. Hopefully it will be a lesson, a lesson for, for all of us just to be more empathetic uh, towards the other and like understand that we all have our difficulties and, 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 and our own things to, to deal with. Right. And just support one another. Totally agree. It's interesting because people are okay if you're taking supplements to get, you know, for health reasons, if you're, if you're going to the gym a lot, it's totally Mm -hmm. acceptable. But Mm -hmm. when it comes to mental health, if there's an imbalance, it's, it's suddenly taboo. So I love what you're talking about. Thank you. All right. Um, so diversity and inclusion is 
a big conversation right now as it should be, as it should have been for a long time. And I would love to get your take from your perspective. What would you say an ideal world looks like? Uh, an ideal world, an ideal, ideal world for me would look like Toronto, to be honest, <laughs> where there's a lot of colors, where there's a lot of shapes, where there's all ages, right? But like thriving together, where there's no ageism, where there's no uh, ableism, where there's more accessibility incorporated mm -hmm. in schools and in the workplace, uh, where people are given uh, fair opportunities, where stigma is completely erased from our minds. Uh, for example, the class that I teach at George Brown right now is called uh, Career and Life Transitions 3. And it's uh, for a program called Transition to Post-Secondary Education. Uh, and this program helps students with, you know, who face mental health and addiction uh, challenges. Yeah. Uh, so with this class, we help them put an action plan together for their next steps after the program. Either that, that next step is farther in their education or their next step is uh, pursuing a career or their next step is maybe venturing into entrepreneurship. Why not? Who tells you mm -hmm. that? Because if you have a mental health challenge, you cannot be an entrepreneur, right? So the class gives them the tools and we have those discussions to see what are the next steps that they're gonna take. <clears throat> but again, talking about stigma, like their big fear is how are they going to be perceived in the workplace when they apply to the jobs yeah when they have uh, for example i had a student a few years ago student with a brilliant career path in within the government of canada brilliant 15 years 20 years of experience with, with the government and they had to take a break to look after themselves because they were not okay yeah and they had to leave that decision to look after themselves uh, because sometimes you you have to do that. You have sometimes you need to take a step back because not even a, a, a beautiful or a very successful job at the government is going to um, you know it's not gonna is no is gonna top your mental health, right? Mm -hmm. This person was very scared of putting a resume together because we know that in the in the uh, in the hiring industry, what they like is chronological resumes. And we hear that recruiters, for the most part, they say that if you have a functional resume, it's because you have something to hide. I hate that. I don't like that. And I'm, I'm open about it. And I've, and I've you know, I've had like uh, discussions with, with other uh, career professionals because, and recruiters because, yeah, well, uh, if they don't hide their mental health challenge, who's going to hire them? Are you going to call them for an interview? Mm -hmm. Be honest with yourself. Are you going to call them for an interview if they have a gap in employment and their gap because of their mental health? Well, they have to. So, so they say, uh, what can I do? Should, should I put a functional resume together? And it's very irresponsible from my end to tell them yes, when I know that most hiring managers and recruiters will never even take a look yeah. at a functional resume. So we have to do a lot of work to see how we can create a hybrid document right that illustrate their skills but is not that focused on the linear trajectory mm -hmm. right uh so so those are the things that these student population are really scared about when facing their workplace because of the stigma that they live around so i this is an invitation for recruiters as well i you know and, and, and also this is this this tells us how why the system is broken as well because i know that recruiters they have so much work and they have just a few seconds to decide if this candidate moves on to the next round or not, right? If they go through the first filter, yeah? But yeah, so functional resume, discard it right away. So if you took, take a step back, right, and have a look and really what is the skill that this person is, is showing? What is the accomplishment? And see, hey, should I give this person a call just to find out? What is an elaborate? And if it does not align with the profile that you're looking for, beautiful. But if you're gonna generalize, are you gonna say that uh, everyone who, who sends a, a functional resume is because they're hiding something? I think is not. I think it's not fair. I think it's not mm -hmm. fair, and I, and I think mm -hmm. we should we should change that. Uh, and maybe like restructure the resumes like as we know them, like all together. I don't know. Um, yeah. So 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 that's. Uh, 
yeah, that's a thought that I wanted to share as well. No, I, I think that's a very <laughs> fair point because it, you're talking about sort of diversity of thought around how people present themselves professionally yeah. to others, which right. is a great conversation and maybe yeah. another podcast episode we could do one day, honestly, <laughs> there you go. as I stumble on that. <laughs> cool. We have some questions that we'd like to ask of all of our guests that come on the show. And the first yeah. one of those is, what is the most fun you've had in your career? Oh, uh, I have to say that oof, the most fun experience <laughs> that I've had in my career was uh, the first culinary trip that I led in Peru. Because first of all, it was the first one and it was a tour uh, that I created myself uh, because I saw a gap. Uh, I, I saw a gap and I saw that the faculty chefs were the, uh, the place where I was, where I had like, a, you know, a relationship with, they wanted to, uh, you know, delve more into uh, travel, like experiential learning and that. And uh, that year they had, uh, they had brought like a Peruvian chef uh, to do a masterclass. And I went there and all the chefs were like mesmerized by the food and everything. Right. And, I, and I'm a huge fan of Peruvian food. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so I, so I, I started freelancing with an educational travel company and I proposed the idea of, uh, creating uh, a culinary tour, uh, in Peru. And, and yeah, and, and, and they, and they, and they believed in the idea and they said, okay, but like, you have to do it. You see if you can like develop this portfolio for us. Right. And I said, sure, uh, I have the contacts that I can ask and we can pilot it and see how it goes. And the idea was very well received uh, and we did it. And we brought, in 2017, we brought a group of 13 uh, chefs, students to Peru. That was cool. the first group. That was my baby, my baby mm. trip. Uh, and it was beautiful because it's a group of strangers, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. At the beginning, even though they, are, they were attending the same school, they, they didn't know each other. Hmm. And it's so beautiful to see how they became family within 10 days. Yeah. Even like how, how that's why like food is so important to me. And it's one of the main drivers in my life. I try, try to incorporate it in the things that I do. Uh, but it was beautiful to see how they bonded because they were in this different reality uh, where they didn't speak the language. So they were vulnerable. It's, it's, it's beautiful because you put them in that vulnerable situation. But it's, there's so much empathy that they're looking after one another and they're learning and growing. And they have been able to, uh, some of the students have, that have gone on this trip, they have been able to create incredible opportunities for themselves. And again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a career coach and educator. So I always talk about career you know, on the trips as well and see, hey, like you're here, this is not a vacation, right? Mm -hmm. this is a, at the end of the day, it's a study tour. So it's what you do with this and how you make the most of the experience and how you are going to market yourself now that you can combine knowledge of Peruvian ingredients, which actually a lot of the ingredients that are used in modern cuisine come from that region of the world. Hmm. So how can we talk about that when you meet a chef, for example, how can you talk about that combined with uh, uh, your French, uh, your French uh, training, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, your classic French training. You combine those things and that helps you become more marketable and gives you a competitive edge because other students, the students that went, didn't go on a trip, they cannot talk about those things. Yeah. So for example, one of the cases is one of the students who after the trip, he stashed at a restaurant, a uh, Spanish restaurant, uh, like Spain food. And, and the chef uh, asked him, okay, come to the kitchen. Uh, here's ingredients, make something. And then he saw um, strip loin, potatoes, red onions, vinegar. And he goes like, I'm going to make lomo saltado, which is one of the staples of Peruvian cuisine. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, like, like uh, yeah, strip loin, strip, stir fry with Peruvian dish with Chinese uh, influences. And, that's, and that helped him seal the deal with the restaurant. Amazing. Right? So it's a lot of fun because it's, uh, it's us as a group, like, first, like, immersed in a beautiful environment i don't know if you guys have been to peru but like at least when you go to the Cusco region like no matter where you walk every tape you stick it looks like a postcard right <laughs> so you're there you are with an amazing group of people who are having their time of their lives and they become family and you became part of the family as well right um i remember it that was, so that was a special trip because they they were connected in such deep level that they were sharing all the food together all the time and bonding so it was it was beautiful so 
Uh, and again, that concept of strangers becoming a uh, family after 10 days, it's, it's just uh, beautiful. Like keeping that relationship uh, afterwards. So that's, I, I'm gonna, I ha will have to say that that, would, that has been the most fun I've done in my career. <laughs> cool. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. What's the biggest risk you've taken in your career and how did that turn out? Um, my biggest risk was, has been, I think, uh, starting Orbit 5. You know, yeah. like thinking about uh, the fact that I had the skill uh, to do something for myself, that I had the experience, that I had the drive and the motivation, but I didn't know anything about how to run a business. So that was the biggest risk. Uh, and it sped off because really it's something that I, that, I, that I was looking for. And I come from a family that is very entrepreneurial. Uh, but I think I was the one who delayed that hmm. the longest uh, out of everyone. Uh, so it's a huge risk, but it's paid off because the, the, the work that I do on a daily basis brings a lot of purpose, a lot of meaning, and just being able to provide a different perspective to someone who is struggling to take, to know what steps to take, uh, for the betterment of their lives or school or a career. It's been wonderful. It's been a wonderful experience. Cool. Awesome. What's the best piece of career advice that you have ever received? The best piece of advice was probably the last, very last manager I had uh, when I still was working as staff, uh, a support staff at the college. I wanted to apply for, for a job and he told me, this is not the best job for you. Not because, not because you're not the best person for the job, but because this job is not yours, it's not you. This job is like to admin, it's data entry. You won't have the chance to mm -hmm. interact with people mm -hmm. a lot, right? This is not the best job for you, but even if it provided stability and decent pay and that, he's like, this is not the best job for you. For you. Like, I don't see you here. And that made me think a lot. And like, you know what? Maybe this is the time for me to try something new. Had I stayed in that, had I applied and, and got that job, probably at this point, I see myself when I, if I look in retrospective and I think I would have been stuck or feeling stuck. So... <laughs> I think that was because he was very honest. It was a very honest conversation we had. And I know that he had my best. And he became one of my mentors after I meet with him maybe twice a year. Uh, and, we, and we chat and we uh, catch up and, and we exchange thoughts and ideas for the betterment of education and all that hmm. stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I want to say that's the best uh, career advice I've ever received. Neat. Very cool. Where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on through email. It's, it's easy. Uh, connect at orbit5.ca. So it's O-R-B-I-T number 5.ca. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn as well. So LinkedIn mm -hmm. is, uh, is a great platform uh, to find me as well. Um, David Mendoza on LinkedIn. You'll see that my, my picture has like a yellow ring around my profile yes. picture. <laughs> very definitive. So that's, that's how you can identify me. I think I would say those are the, the, uh, the, the two best places. Cool. David, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your stories and your experiences with us. There's so many applications to what you've talked about today. It, it, although it almost seems like it's, let me restart that. It, there is definitely so much that can be taken away if you just sort of put yourself into these different positions, these different shoes that you've kind of illustrated through words for us. And I hope that our dear listener kind of comes in tune with everything that you've talked about because you've given us quite a lot. So thank you. Thank you very much for opening the space and the opportunity to uh, share my thoughts and just like to share my story and the work that I do with two exceptional individuals like you, Mike and Lisa. Thank you so much. Oh, our pleasure, thank David. You. Thank you. <laughs> uh, for the Career Builders Podcast, I'm Mike Bird. I'm Lisa Plain. Our guest was David Mendoza. We hope you're well and we hope you'll join us again soon. Bye for now.